Hello and welcome to All in Motion. Want to say thank you to our next guest and all of you for taking the time to tune in. Very excited about this interview. This is episode number 42, A Day in the Life of a Teacher. Our next guest shares her passion and story and why she stayed in one of the most underpaid professions in the United States. Ladies and gentlemen, Ashley Ginsburg Giuliano. Hello and welcome to All in Motion. This is Jake. And ladies and gentlemen, happy Cinco de Mayo. Ooh. I turn it over to Scar City. Yes, happy Cinco de Mayo. This is Scar City from All in Motion. And I'm very excited about this interview and ready to get started. Happy Friday to everyone. All right. So, ladies and gentlemen, we have a uh, guest here that um, we met her off Clubhouse, the famous Clubhouse. And we're very, very, like Garcetti just said, very excited. So, ladies and gentlemen, I present to you, Ashley, how are we doing? Oh, I'm doing great. And I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, you know, as we always do standard, you want to just uh, give the audience a little bit about who you are and, and what you do? I mean, if I give away too much information now, <laughs> yeah, don't give, yeah, don't give too much. Away. <laughs> I'd be more than happy. So again, thank you so much for having me. Uh, this is truly uh, such an honor to to appear on a podcast. As I said, my name's Ashley, and um, I'm currently a teacher online. I spent um, just under a decade in the brick and mortar schools. I teach. K through 12, general and special ed, um, but I do have a background outside of that. I also spent a good portion of time volunteering post-Hurricane Sandy, where I was out of work for nearly two years, almost completely two years to volunteer full-time, and that's a big portion of my life. And so it's kind of shaped me into the person and the educator that I am today. But my passion is still education. And um, I'm happy to go ahead and share a little bit about that with you today. Absolutely. And as we roll right into it, what made you want to pursue a career in um, education and, and uh, the passion that you, you, you drove you to wanting to uh, you know, want to teach and especially children? Because that's a really broad range from K to 12. Right. I'm like a jack of all trades and a master of none, I guess, is kind of what they would say with such a wide range of teaching capabilities. But kind of that teaching thing I always knew since I was a kid, like I'd line up my American Girl dolls in my basement and I asked my parents, I got a, a whiteboard and a corkboard for Christmas one year or maybe it was Hanukkah. I can't remember. But um, and I would literally line up my dolls and I would teach them. And some of them oh, were dreidel, dreidel, dreidel. I made it out of clay. <laughs> you, know, you know that joint, right? Yes, no. yes. Oh. And I'm I'm probably more familiar with Adam Sandler's Hanukkah song because we, you know, more frequently sing that at at uh the bars when we're out around the holidays. Yeah, so I just kind of knew since I was little. I would line up all my dolls. Samantha was constantly the one that would get in trouble and call out because I liked her the least. And then, you know, Molly was the one who was always, you know, following suit and good in class. And I would even complete their papers and grade them. And then it was just the older I got, the more opportunities I had to be in a classroom. Uh, once the year I turned 15, I started working for the Y. And then um, I ended up landing in a preschool slash daycare when I was 17 and had a great opportunity to kind of have my own classroom and just 
kind of pursued it from there. I've always loved teaching. It's just that I've never loved what surrounds teaching. And that's kind of what brought me online, just the unhappiness of of kind of just being a public school teacher and dealing with the red tape. But when I say unhappiness, it's never with the kids. It's never the actual teaching. It's just everything that surrounds teaching. So it was kind of just always in me to be an educator. And I I truthfully can't imagine doing anything else where I'm not working directly with students or people because I'm very much a people person when it comes to my career. Great. Uh, In your opinion, uh, why do you believe, what what grade in your opinion is, is the most detriment to a child's education? there's any grade that does any kind of negativity to a child's education. Personally, I think every everything from your preschool to your 12th grade is very, very important. I, I actually was recently in a conversation yesterday and a student was taking actually his high school courses online. He wanted to go right into the Air Force. So it's kind of trying to fast track it. And he's like, gosh, I don't get why I'm taking this studies and this studies. And we're sitting in a group talking and, and somebody brought up a really excellent point before I even brought up. He goes, you know, it might not be immediately important and it might not really affect what you're doing and you might not see the importance now. But in 10 years, you might be somewhere in your career and you might be able to reflect back on the curriculum that you're learning about now and then realize where it does you know, where it did impact you and why it was important to take. I think right now what serves more as a detriment is the fact that we try and fit too much into each grade level. And sometimes we repeat things too often. So we can't fit in things such as, you know, maintaining a checkbook or old school economics or civics or sewing or cooking. Um, And those things fall off into electives, but should really be mandatory. So I'm not so much sure that anything's a detriment that students do learn about or in any particular grade. What I do think is a detriment is that we haven't really found out how to put these things back in the curriculum, not as electives that students ought to take, but as things that are mandatory. I'm not sure if I'm explaining that correctly, but I hope I am. Yeah, no, I think you're right on target. And I, I think I, I just want to take a step back a little bit. I want to get to know and for the audience to know just a little bit more about you. Can you can you tell us, you know, about the environment and like the family that you grew up in? Like, what was that like? Oh, God. And like, how, how did that contribute to, you know, you wanting to get into this field? Yeah. So my family contributes everything. So I grew up kind of generationally, right? I lived in a home with my parents and my grandparents and we all live together. We all contribute to the home. Um, Unfortunately, my, my grandparents are no longer with us, but I had that rare opportunity to live in a home growing up with this multi-generation and what a gift that was truly. I mean, sometimes I think back and, you know, some little things when you're a teenager, they always bother you and you look back and you're like, gosh, why did that bother me? Because I'd give, you know, all of my limbs to experience that one more time with my grandparents. Um, We were truly uh, thicker than thieves. And I guess it had such an impact on me because I would say that my parents were, I guess nowadays they would be considered quite liberal, right? Back then, I we really grew up not seeing kind of color or understanding anything about LGBTQIA+, but because it was, in my house, it was 
everyone you come in contact with is a human being and we are all equal. So my family, my entire family, I grew up with dolls of every color. Um, there were members of my family that fell in the LGBTQIA+. There were friends that I had that were, were different colors than I was. And my parents didn't make it that we were any different. And so it really wasn't until I got to elementary school. And um, my neighbor, uh, he was African American, he drew a picture of him, my brother, and myself and said that we were sibling. And his teacher told us his teacher told him that we couldn't be because we were different colors. And that was really the first time that I actually saw that we couldn't, somebody thought we couldn't be related because we were different colors. So the I share that experience because that was the first time I really understood differences. And I was in elementary school. And I share that because I'm I'm very fortunate that my family brought me up in a sense where, you know, they they didn't see color, they didn't see gender, they they just didn't see that. And neither did I. Everybody was just equal. And that really is what drives my values now, right? When people ask me what side of the political spectrum I fall on, I don't have one. I just want equal rights for everyone and like equal opportunities and everything to be the same for everyone across the board. So it had such an impact on what I, who I am and what I do because being an educator is the best way to teach kindness and acceptance. It's the best way to impact the most amount of people in the most positive way. So I'm so grateful to the way that I have grown up. I hope that my parents do hear this because I try and communicate this to them all the time that they really, you know, were and truly still are amazing parents and and my grandparents as well. Oh, absolutely. And we'll we'll be sure to get this out to you and make sure your parents and all of your family members uh, are able to listen to this episode and you know, they did a great job, a fantastic job. I, 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 we really appreciate you. So well, uh, with that, just, yeah, yep, yeah, absolutely. I, I want to transition a little bit in terms of like your career now. Like how would you handle certain situations when it comes to children without being too specific, just um, in more of a general sense? How would you handle like children that are dealing with like domestic abuse and, you know, going through poverty and, and, and tough times in their households where they may come to you crying or, you know, um, hungry. How do you deal with situations like that as a teacher? Oh, gosh. So I, as an educator, this these are situations we deal with on a daily, hourly, minute by minute basis, truly. Often kids are so resilient and sometimes they'll come to school and they'll be so happy and then they'll just start crying. I think one thing before I even get to say how I handle that is just to know that as an educator, we have the right to empathize and be upset for our students and with our students. I'll I'll be 100% transparent and say that there are many days where at the end of the day, I will put my head in my hands and I will just cry it out. But I also do have my sounding boards, uh, particularly my family that I trust that I will go ahead and express my emotion to because you cannot pour from an empty cup. And I think that's really important because for a long time I tried and I tried to, you try to always be the strong one, but you can't without your own support system. So when it comes to dealing with that with my students, I realize that I'm their constant. So 
my one rule is I always want to keep my class as consistent as possible because consistency is key for students. When they're coming in and they've had any kinds of issues of domestic violence, of they're not getting enough food at home, of course, I go through the right channels, guidance counselor, nurse, principals. Um, we have oftentimes social workers in the school. In order to be sure I'm doing my due diligence by law, I have to do that, whether I choose to do it anonymously or I choose to you know, put my name to it. And then when it comes to the student in class, sometimes you do have to be their shoulder to cry on. Sometimes they really do only want to confide in you. And then you again, you go ahead and report that to the proper channels. I think what's important for people to note is that many times these issues aren't dealt with because there's such a backlog. The issues become that the states, the counties, they don't have enough people to handle this. So many times these students are left in situations that, you know, we ourselves might not be able to handle. So we have to recognize the strength in these students. And then on top of that, we should recognize what schools are doing. So teachers individually are buying food to leave in the classroom on their own because let's face the facts that just two meals from school, breakfast and lunch, if they qualify for breakfast, if their parents filled out the forms or their guardians. So we keep food in our classroom. Clean clothes we keep constantly. We always have wipes for them. And the nurses will always sometimes, depending on the school, have the ability to wash the children's clothes while they are there at school if they're providing dirty clothes. So I think it's important to realize that we as educators are not just teachers. Sometimes we're serving as, and I will never say that we are going to replace a parent, but sometimes we have to play that role at school. Sometimes we have to play the role of, you know, best friend to cry on their shoulders. Sometimes we have to play the role of nurse. Sometimes we have to play the role of laundromat, you know, or or cafeteria worker, whatever it may be. And then realize we don't really even get our own breaks or prep time, even though we're supposed to, right? Because we have to cover for classes. So we're trying to deal with all of these issues and still keep the students as the you know, what we deal with primarily. But many times when we get knocked for not being able to finish teaching a full curriculum or, you know, meet all the standards for the school year that we're supposed to, we are dealing with usually about 25 to 32 kids in a classroom who may all have these issues at home or who bring their own traumas or, you know, just their own you know, things that might be bothering them. Kids are not products, they're they're human beings. So I hope that was a clear way to answer your question while also still kind of making everybody aware of the teachers always having to be assigned to do one thing, but then juggling 15 others. Absolutely. And I know um, me doing a lot of information technology and cybersecurity work, um, I remember working with a company, um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with them, but UFT, um, United Federation of Teachers in New York. And I remember some of the uh, complexities that they were dealing with. And and I'll use that as the perfect segue here to kind of go into my next question, which is like 2023, I mean, you have one of the most important jobs in the world, right? And I still can't believe that, you know, most teachers are still underpaid. And, you know, we can justify and quantify why 
um, teachers should, and educators should be paid more. Um, at the same time, you, you have to be a mentor, friend, and even sometimes, you know, play a potential role as a parent, as you mentioned, and a caretaker. What, what gives you the resilience? And I know you mentioned your family and shout out to your family and much love. Outside of your family, what gives you the resilience to continue on? doing something so complicated? I think this is like a, a multi-part question to answer. So one that gives me the resilience, I absolutely love my job. I absolutely love being an educator. I've, I've told you there are literally days where I break down crying. I am very lucky that I have an amazing core group of people that I speak to on Clubhouse. For the last four years, I've been 100% remote and I'm an independent contractor even though I contract with different school districts. So I'm 100% by myself. I have no coworkers. And even when I teach in a district, I'm literally just videoed into the classroom and that's the extent of my position. So I truly am on my own. So I'm very thankful for my friends on Clubhouse. They are, they have lit, they've just become such a huge support group for me. But again, I think what it comes down to is I really do love what I do. It's definitely getting harder. And I will be making my exit from teaching for a little bit to return to grad school to give myself a little break, you know, and pursue a different career where I will still be helping individuals. But I think what's important to note is that teachers are severely underpaid. And many times, well, actually all the time, we are using our own money to buy supplies for our classroom. So why does this happen? Mainly because, you know, you could see administrators uh, getting paid over six figures. And there are teachers who, when they're X amount of years into the union, they're finally getting paid what they should have been paid in the beginning, right? And sometimes that doesn't even happen. But really what we need is parents to attend board meetings and to really see where their finances are going. Why is it that teachers have to buy supplies for their classroom? Why is it that when you're paying your tax dollars, there's not enough budget in there? You know, one year I got $50 to buy supplies for my whole classroom, and another year I didn't get any. So it's quite interesting because we all know that it takes more than $50 a year to buy supplies for a classroom of 30. Let's say it even takes probably more than 200. I think in a year, I probably spend close to $1,000 of my own money when I was a classroom teacher between books, crafts and supplies, snacks, things for the students. So not only are we underpaid, we're then taking part of our paycheck and putting it back into our classroom. And mm -hmm. I want to say that that is every teacher that does that. I actually have never come across a single one that has not. Interesting. Yeah. So why are we underpaid? I think it's the fact that you know, it's like it's like asking us, why are we sometimes the hero and sometimes we're the absolute enemy and the root of every problem at this point, right? We're either indoctrinating or we're, you know, put on a pedestal. So people keep saying teachers should get paid more. Okay, well, let's take action and let's actually pay them more. Um, right. In other countries, they offer teachers a salary, a stipend, housing. Here we do not. Yeah, fair treatment. I mean, it's and it, 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 you guys are educating the future. I mean, it's just it's just ridiculous. And um, I I just want to say um, before you jump back, in, I just want to say we have about five minutes left. So I'm I'm gonna ask you one more question and pass it over to Jacob to kind of close us out. But I'm gonna let you finish your thought. Yeah, what I was gonna say and what I want to leave you with is this: 
in what other profession are you expected to go to your office and have no heat in the winter and no air in the summer while being in a class with kids, provide your own supplies and only be able to take your five personal days that you're given around certain days of the year. So I think that's something that we should really keep in mind when we're talking about teachers and even just fair treatment and work environment and salary. And really teachers do burn the candles at both ends. They, every educator out there, thank you for all that you do. Wow. I mean, that was extremely profound what you just said. I want to jump back to the next question. You know, what is your advice and, uh, you know, some type of guidance that you would give to young professionals that are looking to, to have a career on education uh, or if they want to just do teaching in general, like what are some of the pointers, uh, things that you've learned along the way that you like to pass along? I would say that know that you're never going to have all the answers. And some days it is going to see so seem so overwhelming. But with those days that seem so overwhelming, there are going to be so many days where your heart is so full. And in order to be successful in this profession, you're never going to ace every single day. Lessons are going to go wrong, but you always have the next day to do it. And just know that your passion is what's going to have to keep you going. Because right now we are in some very tough times as educators. And we are, we're not only battling what these kids, you know, come to school, the baggage that they they may come with themselves. And I don't mean baggage in a negative word. I just mean that everything they bring from their home life, but we're we're literally battling the public. We're battling the government because we are constantly having to prove that we are adults that can make sound decisions. And unfortunately, we constantly have to prove that because we're constantly under fire. And just know that if you're an educator and you're there with your passion and you've been hired and your kids come to school every day with a smile and they're happy to be there, that that is all the proof that you need. If you see them excelling, even just getting little victories, that's all that you need to keep your passion going. And sometimes you're going to have to drown out the noise from outside. But just know right now, it's going to be your passion and your love of teaching that's going to keep you going right now. And if if you don't have that, maybe take a little bit of a break and see if that comes back for you. And if it doesn't, it's okay. It just might mean it's your time to move on. And if it does, see what you can, see what kind of support systems you can put around you to carry you through this really hard time we're going through as educators. I appreciate that. I'm going to, I'm going to pass it over to Jacob. Yeah, no, actually we close it out. And uh, I just want to say thank you, uh, number one, for your time. And we look forward to to the next installment. (laughs) <laughs> next episode with you but how can people reach out to you uh if they want to get in touch with you uh, i.e uh want to you know pursue a career in education or even someone just maybe might be in college and you know kind of you know on a path but they don't know what to choose what how can people reach out to you um if you don't mind sharing or you'd like to share your either email or if you're on social media Oh yeah, absolutely. So feel free to reach out to me. I'm Tiny Teacher Ashley on Instagram. I'm also on Clubhouse. Uh, what I love about what I do teaching online is you could do it part time, full time, really part time, over full time. Um, and I love mentoring teachers getting started online and starting their own business and career online. It true, 
it truly is the most, one of the most rewarding things that I do is getting to help another teacher really pursue their passions with a nice work-life balance. So again, it's Tiny Teacher Ashley on Instagram. It's Ashley Giuliano on, on Clubhouse. Please feel, feel free to reach out on there. I'm on Clubhouse quite often. Um, and I'd love to help everybody get started. And um, Scarcity and Jacob, thank you so much for having me. This has seriously been so much, so much fun. I love getting to share my passion. So um, I look forward to being part of this all in motion community. I'm really so excited for it. Thank you very much. And thank you for your time. Yes, Ashley, thank you so much. And we look forward to having you back soon. So take care. Talk to you soon. Thank you again, Ashley, for sharing your experience as an educator. We are all excited to have you back. And thank you all for tuning in. If you have not, please check out our website at allmotionpodcast.com. Please subscribe to our mailing list. Once you uh, subscribe, you will receive a notification email. Please accept that so you can receive all of our notifications. From Scar City, the Almost staff and myself, take care and be safe.